0: Let's give that a hand. That's awesome. There's, uh, there's nothing like the miracle of a changed life. You know, it's, it's, healing is great. Um, it's great to see God intervene in our lives and, and help us out financially or, or work out relationships and things that we struggle with, but... I never get over, and I think every believer in here would uh, would attest to this, that there's nothing more special than seeing someone turn their life over to Jesus Christ, because it changes them forever. All right, so i um, privileged and thrilled to be with you here today. Uh, my name is Jason Phibbs, and I'm definitely under construction, so uh, this is a great opportunity and, and love sharing the Word uh, with people. So let's open to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start there, and then we'll We'll spend the majority of our time in in Psalm 119, but uh, while you're turning there to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, um, just a little bit of background here. So Jesus in these last three chapters, um, in in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount, or what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, and there Jesus is talking to uh, disciples and followers about the kingdom of God and what it's about and how it's different. And so in the Old Testament, we... We see the explanation of or, or what is shown to them in the physical form um, about sacrifice and how blood needs to be shed in order for the forgiveness of sins, et cetera. And so they go through a lot of these physical things um, in the Old Testament. And then Jesus sort of starts to transition, transition them and show them how those things that they've seen in the physical are being made real in the spiritual. And so when you put the two together, you get sort of the complete picture. And so Jesus is helping them understand that. And as he comes here to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he closes with this. He says there in verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. And so according to Jesus himself, as we move into today's part of the younger construction series, Jesus says that the word is our foundation. And so we want to take some time today to examine that. But before we go further, I just want to pause for a moment and say it it's so easy for us to take the word for granted. Um, we don't realize oftentimes what, a, what an incredible privilege it is for us to have the complete work of God in front of us. You know, if you lived in the Old Testament times, you might have the prophets, you might have um, some of the history of the creation, et cetera, that Moses had recorded in the, Torah, uh, in the uh, Torah and the law. But they didn't even have the complete story yet, right? They had the, the, the foretelling of what was to come. And here we, standing on the other side of the cross, have the entire story. And so as we go through this today, it's, it's going to be so easy and it's going to be so tempting to just kind of let it blow by. But I want, to, I want you to concentrate and I pray that the Holy Spirit will, will inspire you and help you see what richness and treasure we have at our fingertips. Um, I'm going to use Psalm 119, In Psalm 119, you can turn there, it's in the middle of your Bible, uh, we're going to spend the majority of the time here, um, it's centrally located, so it's pretty easy to find, it's often referred to as the ABCs of God's Word, it's the longest chapter in the Bible with 176 verses, and so when you know, I was thinking about this, this, this sermon coming up, and, and okay, Lord, I'm going to preach on the Word, what do you want me to talk about, and I started uh, searching in prayer, and the Lord brought Psalm 119 in my mind, and I thought, Lord, like, do you realize how long that psalm is? And, of course, he's like, yeah, I, I you know, wrote it all. So, um, but, yeah, so, it, but it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of content. And, and by no means am I going to read through every single verse, but I am going to read a good number of the verses to you as we go to illustrate the points. And, I, and, and my, my point in doing that is not for you necessarily to try to turn to each one of them, but just let the Word wash over you. Let the truth of His Word just, um, just fill you. And so it's located in the middle of the Bible. You'll notice a symbol at the beginning of each section. Those are Hebrew letters. And the psalm is a type of literature known as an alphabetical acrostic, meaning each stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it goes in order from A to Z, or Aleph to Tav is what it's referred to in Hebrew. So regarding alphabetical acrostics, um, one Bible scholar once wrote that it's a poetic way of saying that a total coverage of the subject is being offered. And so here, since Psalm 119 covers God's Word in almost every single verse, this is, we can refer to this as a total coverage of God's Word. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and therefore there are 22 stanzas. There's uh, Interestingly enough, there are uh, 22 mentions of the Lord's name uh, in this psalm. Each stanza has eight verses, and there are eight Hebrew synonyms for God's word used throughout the letter. The composition and organization of the psalm has prompted contemporary theologians like Kevin DeYoung to write this, and I love this. He says, quote, surely it is significant that this intricate, finely crafted, single-minded love poem, the longest in the Bible, is not about marriage or children, food or drink or mountains, or sunsets, or rivers, or oceans, but about the Bible itself. Psalm 119 is the explosion of praise made possible by an orthodox and evangelical doctrine of Scripture. So using this psalm, I want to tell you three things today about the foundation of the Word. One, what it is. Two, what it does. And three, how we get it. What it is, what it does, and how we get it. So first, what it is. We can use Psalm 119 to see two particular aspects that explain what it is. First, it shows us through the Hebrew words the expressions of God's word. The expressions of God's word. The New Bible Commentary sort of buckets these these synonyms into categories that help us understand how and all the different ways that God speaks to us. And the first is through divine speech. We see in the Bible that God has spoken directly to his people, and also he has spoken through other things and or people to his people. So, for example, he spoke directly to Abraham to deliver his covenant. Yet with Moses, the first time he spoke to Moses, he spoke through the burning bush to speak to Moses. So we see divine speech. Second, we see divine thought. And divine thought are the aspects of God's word that, that teach us things about him and his creation and the difference between right and wrong. We see this, for example, in a book like Leviticus that goes through a ton of different laws and, and regulations that the people of Israel were taught to obey at that time, teaching them what God wanted them to do. Similarly, when we read, for example, in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth, God is, uh, the Word is teaching us facts about the world. So it's divine thought. Next, there are words that indicate divine significance or the enduring nature of God's Word. And we see this in, um, in statutes and decrees or words that are translated usually as statutes and decrees. Um, it comes from a verb that means to engrave, right, or to set in stone, as in for a long period of time. And so when Israel had crossed the Red Sea out of Egypt and, uh, and, and, and was out in the wilderness, um, God had turned the bitter water in, at Marah into drinkable water. And then he established a statute at that point in time that if they would obey his commands, that he would not inflict any illness upon them. And so, again, we see that the divine significance of God's word. There are also words that indicate God's divine authority. And this is uh, expressing the authority of the word and the love which it is delivered, like a father to a child. You know, God just doesn't deliver commands and explanations and decrees and ordinances to us just to boss us around. Right, He does it because he is a loving father who is teaching us how to obey him, to fulfill his word and his commands, and to live a life full of joy and in an honor to him. Lastly, there is divine application. And divine application uh, expresses the practical application of life, ranging from just essentially doing what you're told to do, all the way down to the minute details. And this, a good example of this would be like the Ten Commandments. Okay, So through the the Hebrew words that are used in the psalm, we can see that God's word is expressed in many different ways. And the point of all of that is, is not to just give you an academic explanation of Hebrew, but it's to tell you that as you go through the book of the Bible, you're going to see God's word manifest itself in many different ways. And what I want you to get out of this is that all of those ways have application to your life. There is not one piece of literature in this Bible that does not apply to you. We just need him to reveal it to us, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So, the expressions of his word. Next, and and sort of the second sub-point under what it is, are the characteristics of God's word. This is one of my favorite. I love this. Um, First, God's word is true. Man, isn't there just something comforting about saying that? God's word is true. Meaning, in spite of what you hear from the world, there's an absolute standard that is fixed of which God is both the creator and the keeper of that standard. It's not dependent on our personal opinion, and there is no alternative to it. For something to be true, all else must be false. And God's word is true. You can depend on it. You can rely on it. Some verses that illustrate that in Psalm 19. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set your ordinances before me. Verse 43, never take the word of truth from my mouth, for I hope in your judgments. Verse 86, all your commands are true. People persecute me with lies. Help me. Verse 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your instruction is true. Verse 151, you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. And as I go through these, keep in mind that by no means am I giving you an exhaustive picture of everything that's in this psalm. I'm just hitting some of the highlights. So as you go through on your own, I certainly challenge and encourage you to study Psalm 119 on your own. And that in itself, Psalm 119 is just six pages in the complete word. So it's rich. So secondly, it's eternal. God's word is eternal, meaning it is dependable and never changing. It always has been, and it always will be. God's word is, unlike our culture, does not evolve with the times. The word that God delivered to Moses, to Abraham, to any other number, Paul, to Peter, is the same word for us today. And obviously we need to understand the context of that and God's spirit can reveal that to us, etc. but God's word is unchanging. Verse 89 says, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Verse 144, your decrees are righteous Forever. Give me understanding, and I will live. Verse 152, long ago I learned from your decrees that you have established them forever. And verse 160, all your righteous judgments endure forever. Next, God's word is rich, meaning it is abundant and overflowing, and it is more than sufficient to meet all of our needs. Um, Verse 14 says, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. Verse 72 says, instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 127, I love your commands more than gold, even the purest gold. And verse 162, I rejoice over your promise like one who finds vast treasure. The word of God is a treasure and it is so rich. And if you sit and think to yourself, you're like, well, I've read the Bible before and I don't get a whole lot out of it. I'm telling you, there is a biblical principle called reaping and sowing. And you will reap what you sow. If you sow a little, guess what you get? You reap a little. But if you sow deeply, there is no end to its truth. There is more than you can gather in a lifetime in one of these, one of these books than you can get from anything else. So it is deep. It is rich. Lastly, God's word is just, meaning it differentiates fairly between right and wrong without respect to person, but in deference only to righteousness. You know, in this world, uh, we do our best, right? And, and, and God enables us and helps us along with that. But when it comes to judgment, we make mistakes, right? We're human. And that's okay. That's not surprising to God by any stretch of the imagination. But isn't it comforting to know that with your eternity hanging in the balance, that the only one who gets to judge is the one who is truly righteous, The one who is truly just. And so we see that in the characteristics of God's word, we see God's word is true. We see it is eternal. We see that it is rich. And we see that it is just. And that is not all. That's just the beginning. So that's what God's word is. We see through the expressions. We see through the characteristics what it is. Secondly, what it does. What does God's word do when we sow into it? First, God's word makes us wise. About wisdom, 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Quote, "...wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom." You know, a lot of people know things, and it's never more evident to see this than in children, right? As they learn and as they're growing, they gain knowledge, and that's a good thing, right? That's part of the process, but what, what they don't have right off the bat is the application of that knowledge, right? That's wisdom. And that's what the Bible does for us. The Bible gives us knowledge, absolutely. The Bible teaches us things about the world and who we are and our sin and our, and our losses and what Christ has done and all of that teaches us facts. But it's the application of those facts to our lives that make it matter. Right? We have the entire word of God to answer any question that we deal with, any political issue, any spiritual issue, any home life issue. But it's the application of that knowledge that changes us. Verse 130 says, The revelation of your words brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. And so because of the foundation of the word, we know that if we lack wisdom, we can ask the Father and he will give it to us generously. Next, God's word gives us peace. Peace is the comfort and rest that comes with knowing that the all-powerful God of the universe is in complete control. And not only is he in control, but he's out for your good. God's just out there just playing God to have fun with it. God is out for your good, and he is a God of peace. Verse 165 says, Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. Because of the foundation of the word, we know we can have peace that passes understanding regardless of our circumstances. The beauty of peace is that it is not particular to what you're going through. It is resting in who he is and what he's done for us. Next, joy. God's word brings us joy. Joy is the elation that comes in knowing that all the trials of this world are but a temporary discomfort on our way to eternal bliss with our Father in heaven forever. You notice the Bible doesn't talk about fun. And it's not because there's no fun to be had. It's because fun is temporary and based on your circumstance. Joy is something that you have in all circumstances. And that's what the Word brings. Verse 111 says, I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. Because of the foundation of the Word, we know that weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We have hope in the Word. Christian apologist R.C. Sproul said, Hope is not simply a wish. As in, I wish that such and such would happen or take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made for us. We latch on to that certainty, and that is our hope. Verse 49 says, remember your word to your servant. You have given me hope through it. And so because of the word, we know that being justified by his grace, we have become heirs to the hope or the promise of his word of eternal life. And finally, and and not completely, but God's Word gives us or brings us salvation. Contemporary pastor and author Rick Warren said this, Through salvation, our past has been forgiven, our present is given meaning, and our future is secured. There is nothing in this world that will set you free from sin and death than this Word. This is the way we know that we have life eternal in Christ Jesus is the word will set us free and bring us and lead us into salvation. Verse 41 says, Let your faithful love come to me, Lord, your wisdom or your salvation as you promised. And so because of the foundation of the word, we know that we have been saved by grace, through faith, and not by works. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so we talked about what it is. We talked about what it does. And finally, we want to talk about how we get it. Three things. Instruction, meditation, transformation. Instruction, meditation, transformation. First instruction, verse 33 through 34 says, Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it. Verse 66 says, Teach me good judgment and discernment, for I rely on your commands. And verse 73 says, Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding so that I can learn your commands. And what the psalmist is illustrating here is that you cannot do this on your own. Understanding God's word is not just simple intellectual assent to an idea, it's not just about collecting facts. Understanding God's word is something that the Lord himself, through the power of his spirit, has to reveal to you. And you know how I know that? You know how you know that? Because I bet you've told someone about Jesus and they've said, hmm, that's kind of interesting, and then they just moved on. How can anyone, and, and those of you who are saved in here in the room know this, how can anyone hear the truth about Christ and what he's done for us and know that eternal security is there for us? How can anyone hear that and reject it? Well, the difference is in that it hasn't been revealed to them. They need the Spirit of God to open their dead hearts so that they can see and hear the truth. And so we need God, and the psalmist acknowledges that we need God not only to see salvation in the first place, but to continue our growth in it. And so when you sit down to to read the Word, we need to pray. We need to pray, Lord, reveal your Word to me. Right, through the power of your spirit, I want to understand it. I want to know it. Help me understand how this applies to my life. And I guarantee you that is a prayer that he wants to answer. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. It says, but the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. Yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have, we as believers, have the mind of Christ. And here in this simple passage, Paul is just explaining to you what I just said, right? That we as believers can understand, but we need it through God's uh, intervention, right, in our lives. And those who do not have Christ cannot understand. And so um, this is how you can have Bible scholars at a university who don't believe in Christ. I had a New Testament professor at UNC Charlotte, knew everything there was to know about the Bible, knew way more than I did. And while he was sharing all these truths with me, which were actually enriching me in my faith, I was amazed at the fact that he was not a believer. And I thought, how could you be in the steps where Jesus walked and see the things that they saw and, and know all of this stuff and not believe? And it wasn't until I understood this principle That I knew. And by the way, this principle of God's Spirit revealing things to people should take a load off your shoulders. Because you don't have to be a good enough speaker to reveal Christ to someone. Your job is just to tell them. Right? Just like Miss Jan did. Right? She just said, here's what God did for me. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. And if they reject, Jesus even says in his word, if they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. So let that be, uh, hopefully that'll, that'll uh, lighten the load a little bit, right? You don't have to be stressed about sharing God's word with people. Don't let the, uh, the enemy steal that from you. So instruction, we need instruction from the Lord. Secondly, meditation. Verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Verse 48 says, I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 148 says, I am awake through each watch of the night to meditate on your promise. Meditation itself is we're not talking about right, you know, necessarily the, you know, sit indian style and, and ohm and all that kind of stuff. Although, you know, if you want to sit in style and meditate, that's fine, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But by meditating, we just mean simply think about, right? Spend time in solitude thinking on what you've learned. If God has revealed truth to you, then you should spend time thinking about that truth and asking God to show you how it, it applies to your life. Even the acrostic style of the psalm itself shows you that it was meant to be memorized and meditated upon. If you were to see the Hebrew version of Psalm 119, what you would see is is that every single letter that starts each stanza is at the beginning of each line of the sentence. It would look very much like a nursery rhyme in Hebrew. Now, obviously, it's been translated to English, looks a little different, right? And we think, well, I don't see the, you know, the, sort of the acrostic thing you're talking about. Obviously, the, it's been lost in translation, but it's no less meaningful than the fact that the psalmist intended, right, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for us to memorize and learn his word And so as we study his word, truth is revealed, and we must spend time prayerfully considering how that word applies. Finally, transformation. Psalm 119 starts with two blessings in verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction. Blessed are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. Notice the blessing doesn't just come from hearing God's word or reading God's word. It comes from doing God's word. It's the doing that makes the difference. We need to allow the word to change us. Verse 44 says, I will always obey your instruction forever and ever. Verse 69 says, the arrogant have smeared me with lies, but I obey your precepts with all my heart. And verse 128 says, I carefully follow all your precepts and hate every false way. Now, if we go back to Matthew 7, where we started this whole thing, we see the same thing. When Jesus is concluding his remarks there in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. But he goes on and says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The connection between these two is in John 1. And in John 1, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, it goes on to say that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so when we see Jesus, when we read about Jesus, you are reading and looking at the very manifestation, the very physical formation of God's Word himself. And so the Word is God. And Jesus is the Word made into flesh. And therefore, to truly receive God's Word is to receive Christ. As with everything in the Bible, it all points to Christ. Christ is the epicenter of it all. He is the, the epitome of God's glory and His work. The Bible is not about us. It is about what He's done for us. It is about His glory. We just happen to be the greatest benefactors of it. The big idea for today is that a firm foundation leads to total transformation. A firm foundation leads to total transformation. And so what kind of foundation are you on today? Notice that in Matthew 7, both houses faced the storm. And even one step further than that, both houses heard the word. The difference between the house standing firm in the storm and collapsing in the storm was the doing. It was the acting on his word. If the enemy can te- keep you from taking action, then he can keep you out, right? He can keep you out, either keep you away from your salvation, or he can, if you're a believer, he can keep you out altogether of the game. You know, when you become a Christian, God can't, or the devil can't have you anymore, right? Your, your salvation is secured. But what he can do is he can get you out of the game. Right? And that keeps other people from hearing the word. So it's the doing that makes the difference. So two quick things here to wrap this up. Believers here today, are you investing in your foundation? Are you seeking the Lord's instruction? Are you meditating on what it says? And more importantly, are you allowing it to change you? Right? Because if there's no change going on, then what are we doing here? Right? I mean, that's what this is all about. The question is, is do we believe this word? Because if we believe this word and what it says, it has massive implications for our lives and for all of those around us. So maybe you, maybe you need to ask God or maybe you need to repent today, right? Because maybe you know that you've been a little sluggish when it comes to your study of the word. And don't be embarrassed by that. We've all been there. Uh, we have all been there and, and continually go there from time to time. So it's nothing new, but it's definitely something that we should repent of, and we need God to help us with that so that maybe we need to make some repairs to our foundation. And for those of you who don't know Christ, today is the day you can break ground on a new foundation and change the, change the rest of your life for all of eternity. God's Word says in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we believe this word, let us not be hearers only, but doers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity and time together. And Lord, we thank you for the the truth, the richness, the, the eternal nature, and just righteousness of your word. Father, I pray that more than anything else, no matter what has been heard or said here today, Lord, that people will walk out with a passion and a fire to dive into your word because I know that your word changes everything. Father, may the, 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 the truth of your word pour out of us daily, right, into the lives of ourselves and other people. And may you get the glory for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.